And so that's what this is about today. Who is my neighbor? Jesus said it like this. He replied to the man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road and he saw him and he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw the man and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw the man, he felt compassion. And he came to the man and he bandaged up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them and he put him on his own animal and he brought him to the inn and he took care of the man. On the next day, he took out two days worth of wages and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Great question. And the man said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Let's pause here and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story that Jesus told so long ago that can still speak to us today and still teaches us how to neighbor. And so as we think of these things, would you guide us now? Help us to understand. Let this make a difference in the way that we live. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we all have neighbors, we like them or we don't, right? I've lived in neighborhoods where I have those really close neighbors, you know, the people that when they talk loud in their house, you can hear them. And I've lived in places so far away I couldn't see my next neighbor, which was fine with me at times, okay? But those physical neighbors, the ones that are right next door or way down the street, that's not what we have in mind today. A neighbor right now is the person that crosses your path. So it can be the person that you work with. It can be the person that sits next to you at work. It can be the person that sits next to you at school. It can be the person across the counter from you when you go to Walmart or you go to a restaurant or something like that. Those are your neighbors. And so what Jesus is talking about here today is any person that crosses your path. You happen to be doing your thing, going on your journey, going down the road, doing what you, you know, just need to do. But this person's here, and they're in need. Now, the world's full of needs, right? There are way more needs out there than you can ever meet. So this is not about you meeting everyone's need. It's not that. But God will put some people in your path. They'll be in the ditch beside the road you happen to be traveling, and that's where they are, and those are the people where it all starts. So before I say any more, let me just kind of walk you through these. I got seven of them. I'm going to do them kind of fast, so I'm going to spend a whole lot of time on each one. I sort of promise, okay? All right, so here it is. How to neighbor. Being a neighbor is better than having a neighbor. Okay? Being a neighbor is better than having a neighbor. We all want to have someone like this in our lives. We all, we all want that. But what Jesus is saying here is that it's better for you to be the neighbor than it is for you to have a neighbor. And if you think about it, that's really the only part that you can really can control, Right? Like you may or may not have a good neighbor. You may or may not, when you're in need, have someone close to you that can kind of jump in there and help you and be there for you. You may or may not have that. But the focus here in the story of Jesus is for you to be the neighbor to someone else because that's something you can control. That's something that, that makes a difference. So when the guy's talking, 
And I'll, I'll speak a little bit more about this in a moment. But when the guy's talking, he wants, to, he wants to do something else. He wants to say, well, who is my neighbor? So if you want me to love my neighbor as myself, well, who is my neighbor? Do you see how he's trying to exclude some people? How he's trying to get some people out of the way? And Jesus tells this whole story. And when he gets to the end of it, he says to that guy, he says, which one was the neighbor? So what Jesus is talking about is being a neighbor. And so he makes being a neighbor better than having a neighbor. Now, I want you all to have good examples in your life, right? I hope you have some really good examples. And like right now, if we took about 30 seconds and you were just to let your mind wander and think for a moment... Who are the people in your life through the years who have been the best example to you of really what Jesus is talking about? The people that are the really, they were the neighbor for you or for somebody you knew. You know, if, can you just get a face in your mind? Can you get a name in your mind? Can you just think of a few of those? Okay. It's wonderful to have people like that. But what Jesus is talking about is you being that person. You being that person for someone else. Let me make a connection, just a kind of a comparison to you, uh, for you. And, and this is why I think it's so important. You know how we take up an offering at the end of our services, right? And that's, that's a really important part of what we do as a church. It's not that important how much you give. What's important is that you give. Does that make sense? And, and I always try to stress this to you as a church because... When you give, you do what you were made to do. Like God is a giver. He made you a giver and you can give. And so when, whenever you give, it's, it's like first you're recognizing, okay, I have something. It may not be much, but I have something. God gave me something. He put it in my hand somehow. And therefore, I'm a steward of it. I'm in charge of this and I can do something with it. I have the power, the ability to choose and actually do something with this. And I'm going to do a little bit of good in it with it in the way that I give. Okay, that puts that makes you the, the, the choice maker. It lets you do something like God intended for you to do. And we just do it as a small part of our worship service. And it's an important part of it. Now, just kind of widen that out. Expand that same idea out because that's what we're talking about here. If you're ever going to be the neighbor, you'll start to see yourself as someone who has something to give. You have some time. You have some energy. You have some resource. You have the, the skill, the ability, something that you can do to make a difference in someone else's life. And you choose, you make the choice to do something with it. And by the way, there's no age restriction on that, right? When the little people do it, when I say little, I mean young. When the young people do it, it's just so precious to see, is it not? When you see a, 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 you know, a child giving in some way, and I don't mean like running up and putting something in the offering plate necessarily. I just mean when you see them do something sweet and kind for someone else, you know, there's just something inside of you that goes, man, that just, that's right, that's good, I like that. Well, I'm just going to say that when the older people do it, it has to make God smile. Because that's what he made you to do. He wants you to be the neighbor. And so when you hear this story, that's where I want you to start. How to neighbor? It's just better to be a neighbor than to have a neighbor. Now here's the next part of it. I, I hate to say this. This was like, I, when, I, when I was working on this over the week, I saw it, I wrote it down, and then I do this thing. I don't know if you pray this way, but sometimes I do this. I just look up in the sky and I go, really God? That's what you want me to say? That's what you want me to do. Because I, I, do, I do some of my best Bible studies outside. 
I don't know if that works for you, but it works for me. I like to be outside. I like to, you know, the birds, the sky, and all that. And so I'm sitting out on my back porch, and I'm making myself some notes. And I write this down, and I look up to the sky, and I just, really, God, that's what you want me to say. All right, but here it is. Religious leaders, that says me. It should say may. Religious leaders may not show the way. Your religious leaders, the people that should be better, may be the worst examples to you of this. Now, I can't get away from that because that's exactly what Jesus said in the story, right? So there's one guy. He gets beaten up, thrown in the ditch, left for dead. That's the story. The first person that Jesus describes in his story he's coming by is a really respectable priest. You know, it's a, it's a guy that's supposed to know what to do and be able to help and all that. And Jesus said, not only does he see the guy, he passes by on the other side. Fail. Worst example. The person that should do it doesn't do it. And then, just in case you think Jesus was, was just kind of hurrying through the story, he gives us a second one. It's a Levite. This guy knows the law. His, he was born into it. Like, you couldn't just become a Levite. You had to be born into the family. He was steeped in this stuff. He knew everything that the Old Testament taught. He, he knew the Scripture. He sees the same hurting person. And what does he do? He does just what the priest does. He follows in the priest's footsteps, and he walks around on the other side. I hate that. I hate that part of the story. Because when you bring that into 2018... Sometimes it still looks the same. The people that we expect to be our best examples, the people that we expect to show the way in compassion and care and those kinds of things are sometimes the worst people at it. Your religious leaders. Now, if I'm a bad example for you, I'm sorry. I do not wish to be that for you. I do not. Uh, I can confess as just as a Christian person that I'm far from perfect and I will let every one of you down at some point, you know, and, and some of you have been listening to me for years now and you know that I say this fairly regularly. I will let you down. Okay. If you, if you don't feel too bad for me, you'll let me down too. <laughs> Does that help you feel better? You know, we'll do that. And why do we do that? Because we're people, because we're broken because we're not perfect, because no matter how much we care and love one another, we can't always be everything for the other person that we want to be. And by the way, who is the only person that's ever promised to meet all your needs? Jesus. That's right. Jesus is the only one who's ever promised to meet all your needs. So if you ever find yourself sitting at home thinking and just kind of stuck on, you know, how somebody let you down and how bad it made you feel and you're kind of getting mad and upset about that, just let that thought wander through your mind. There's really only one person who's ever promised to meet all my needs, and that was Jesus. It's not any of these other people. So maybe that'll help you, okay? So your religious, religious leaders can be the ones that are the worst examples of this. And I don't like it. And I don't like it at all. But that's what Jesus taught. And that's what he said in the story. And that's why we need to talk about it. Now, uh, let me give you kind of a, another dimension to this. Because it, it happens to ministers. But it might happen to you too. Okay, It's sometimes called compassion fatigue. You ever heard of that? If you've not heard of it, it's a real thing. Like they study it now. It's called compassion fatigue. And so it happens to people who are in some kind of helping 
line of work. You could be a nurse, a doctor, a, a minister, or, or just you in the course of all the things you do serving the Lord. You can, you can help and you can give and you can give and you can give and you can reach a point where you just look around one day and say, I got nothing. I got emotionally, I don't have anything else to give. I'm just out. Okay, that, that's a different thing. Okay, that, that's something else. That's kind of an emotional reaction when you're just drained and you're out. And by the way, that happens to all of us sooner or later. So, so don't, don't feel bad about it. Be, be good to yourself. Just understand God loves you. He, uh, he has everything that you will ever need. And if he's put you through something and you're just drained and wore out, okay, you know, it's time to, time to rest, time to reflect, time to, to refuel, and you'll be ready to go again soon. So don't, don't think it's a bad thing just because you feel this way. But that is a real thing. And that's not the same thing as what Jesus is talking about in this story. You know, he's not talking about compassion fatigue. He didn't say anything about the priest came by, but the priest had been going through a lot lately, so he just didn't want to get involved. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the priest, the person who should have known better and should have been able to help, didn't help. He wasn't a neighbor. That's what we're actually talking about here. So can I please stop talking about bad religious leaders? Let's go to this one. Number three. Justifying yourself is the fastest way not to neighbor. Justifying yourself is the fastest way not to neighbor. You, you want to uh, do what the guy did in the story? He looked at Jesus after Jesus said, what do you, what do you say? What do you, what's in the scripture? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do that. And the guy says, uh, but who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. And the scripture brings that out clearly. So if you want to not neighbor, if you want to do this wrong, this is how you do it. You start justifying yourself. Well, I don't have the time. Um, I don't have money. I don't have the ability. I don't want to be involved in that. I have more important things to do. You can just start working your way through a list to justify yourself. And, and you, what will happen is you'll start to feel pretty good about yourself. You'll start to feel good about, you know, I got a reason not to get involved in this. I got, I've got a reason not to. Don't people do that with church? Don't they? I hear it, you know, like as a minister, like it'll come to me in different forms. Uh, one of my, just, just church attendance. Let's just talk church attendance for a moment because that's one of my favorite ones. Um, I can't come to church because of what? What's the, what's the big one you've always heard? I can't go to church today because I got to work. That's a good one. I'm tired. Um, I was up late last night. Or my personal favorite, whenever I hear it, I'm not going to church today. I don't like those people. <laughs> it's my personal favorite. <laughs> First time I ever heard that was in the church that I grew up in. And, uh, you know, and I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm like 15, 16 years old. And I just like everybody in our church. Can y'all imagine that about me? Like, I love everybody. You know, I'm, I'm about 16 years old. Everybody I see, I like. These are all great people. These are wonderful. And I hear this lady going down the hall like, I don't even want to be here today. I don't even like half these people. And she's just going on. And I'm like, wow, this lady, she is, she, she I don't know. Y'all don't be that way, okay? Don't be that way. That's an excellent one. I don't need church to go to heaven. Now, is it, um, is it true that you don't have to go to church to get into the kingdom of heaven? That is true, right? 
Like it's not a requirement. You don't have to sign our Bible back there to get in heaven. If we did, we could fill this place up every week, right? Like if you must be present to win, that would be it. Now, now let me give you the other side of that too. Okay, the other side of that is this. The church is the bride of Christ. The people. They are the bride of Christ. And they represent a community in this world unlike one you've you will ever find anywhere else. When we do something here this morning, I mean, today I'm trying my best to sing and, and, and you know, just do what I can do, but you're making your voices heard. And we did something here this morning that'll never happen again. It's never happened before. It'll never happen again. It was a unique sound. It was your voice and the person next to you and every person in this room singing a song of praise to God, a song that says we love you, God, we adore you, we worship you, and that is a unique form of praise. You cannot do that by yourself. It can only be done with the group, and it's always going to be different. And I'll give you a second thing that happens. When you get together with God's people, if you pay attention, if you listen, if you look, if you, if you, if you just pay attention to what's going on, God finds a way to speak to you. It may not be through the preacher. It may not be through the sermon. It may be through another person here. I mean, I, I can go back to some points in my life where little things happened that I know changed the direction of my life. And you've heard me talk about my friend Bruce Wood before. I know I can still, I mean, I see it. Like I walked in the doors that Sunday night. It was kind of in a hallway in the church. And there's Bruce and Linda. And they were dating at the time. Bruce was just a few years older than me. And I walked in and Bruce looked at me. He put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, man, I'm glad you came tonight. I'm glad you're here. And just that little thing helped me understand I was in the right place. That, that I was welcomed. That I was accepted. And it wasn't the sermon. I don't know what the sermon was that night. I don't know what the pastor preached on that night. But all these years later, I'm still talking about Bruce and just his kindness to me in that moment. You see what I'm trying to tell you today? I realize that when we gather like this on Sunday mornings, some of the most important things that happen, they're not things that happen standing behind this desk. They may not be things that happen anywhere up here. They're, they're things that you do for someone else who walked in the door. Those can be the life-changing moments. It's wonderful when you think about it. And that's being made. All right, so justifying yourself is the fastest way not to neighbor. So stay away from justifying yourself. And then the next one, just as practical as it comes, okay? Doing is better than noticing. Everyone wants to be an expert at noticing. People don't want to be experts at doing. You know, everyone wants to say, well, you know, that is a need, or we should do something about that, but no one wants to actually do something about that. One of the fun things about our church, about our congregation right now, is that we're at, we're at this kind of a pivotal time, and I don't know how long we'll be here, okay? But we're at this pivotal time where we can go in, in almost any direction as far as what we're going to actually do. So we're asking the Lord. I hope you're praying about this too. You know, Lord, what do you want our church to do? What do you want our group to look like? We don't have to look like the church down the road. We don't have to look like any church we've ever been in before. We can do something different as a church. And just simply looking around and noticing what the needs are or noticing people or things, you know, that's well and good. But doing's always better than noticing. 
We have to actually do something. This, this is what I'm after as a pastor. This is what I'm hoping for. That there'll come a time in the future when you and I will, will sit down together and we'll worship in a service like this wherever we are. And, and when you walk out the door, you won't have any problem explaining to a total stranger what it is we actually do as a church. I want you, I mean, right now you could say, well, we get together and we worship and we fellowship and we sing and we study the Bible. You can say all of those things, but I want you to be able to say something else, something that puts feet on our faith, something that describes to people what makes this congregation different than any other, what, what makes the things that we do look like the work of Jesus in the world. That's what I'm hoping for and praying for. Because we don't want to be a church that just says, you know what we do? We get together every Sunday, we sing, and we study the Bible. As important as that is, that's the starting point, not the finish line, right? That's not, that's not the thing that we're trying to attain to. Can we just get together and sing and pray and study the Bible? Can we just do that? Yeah, that's not the ceiling. That's the floor. That's the place where you stand and you start, and from there you launch out and you do ministries and you make a difference in the world. Now, I don't think I'd be a good pastor to you if I didn't say this, okay? Sometimes you just get tired, you know? And, and for, for a lot of you in the room, you know, you've been through a lot. And we've done a lot in the last year. And so, so I get that. And I understand that, that as far as our strength goes and our emotion goes and the resources that we have, you know, we may feel like we just got a little right now. That's all right. It won't always be this way. It won't always be this way. So God gets us ready. God prepares us. And then when he opens the door, it'll be the time for us to move. And that's part of why we're thinking like this. Part of why I think that, that I keep coming to things like this in the scripture. Because it's going to be so important for us when it's time for us to take those next steps. So doing is better than those. All right, number eight. What number is this, by the way? Five. This is number five. All right, so I got five, six, and seven. Ready? To neighbor will cost you. <coughs> to neighbor will cost you. Okay, so we've heard it, right? That's what we've done all day. We took a noun and made it a verb. To neighbor. So usually a neighbor is a person, place, or thing. We've made it an action. That's what we've done. So we're talking about neighbor as an action. So to do the work of a neighbor, to, to neighbor, is going to cost you. This is... This is not going to be easy. It's not free. It will cost you time. It will cost you energy. It will probably cost you money. Who knows what else it might cost you. But if you're going to neighbor, if you're going to do it, it's going to cost you. And isn't that exactly what the story tells us? So the Samaritan, and by the way, if you don't know the background on that, okay, priest and Levite, they're very respectable people. The Samaritan was... The Samaritans had this stigma on them in the first century. They were the half-breed people that nobody who was Jewish really liked. I mean, a good Jewish man would not even walk through their neighborhood, you know? And, and that's why when Jesus uses the story of the Samaritan, it just stands out. He says, so it's the Samaritan that sees, and, and then he goes over and gets in the ditch with him. That'll cost you. It will cost you to get down in the ditch where people are. You might get dirty. It's going to take some time. It might not be where you want to be. It will cost you. 
And in the story, not only did it, it cost the man some of the, the resources he had, you know, he used some oil and wine and those kinds of things to bandage up the, the man who was injured. But then he took him to the inn and he gave two days wages. He said, here, use this. And if it costs more, I'll pay you that when I come back. This was the total stranger to him, someone he did not know. And I just don't want you to miss that, that to neighbor will always cost you something. Can I tell you a fun thing about Jesus? Fun thing about, fun fact about Jesus. He called people to die. Okay, you're going, that's not fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. That's what Jesus did. He, he took, he, people, people wanted to follow him because, you know, he turned water into wine and he multiplied bread and he healed people. And look at all these great things he's doing. Let's go hang out with that guy. And then Jesus would look around at the crowd and he would say, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. And, and today the cross sounds like a good thing. You know, people buy it. They wear it around their neck. It's a beautiful thing. We adorn our churches with it. But in the first century, the cross was a symbol of death. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. That's what I'm going to do. You, you need to go this way. It, he's, he's calling you to lay down your life for something bigger than yourself. He's calling you to lay down your life for him, for his cause, for his purpose. That's what he's asking you to do. And what will that look like in your life? It will mean that you pour out your life for the good and benefit of others in his name. That's what it'll look like. So he calls you to die. And then, and then he has a twist. He says, if you do this, you'll really find your life. You'll find your life when you lay it down. You'll find your life when you give it up. It's the exact opposite of what you expect. He said, but that's what will happen. You think that if you just accumulate and get and keep and hold on to, that you'll really have life. And he says, no, it's the ex exact opposite. It's when you give it away. It's when you serve. It's when you say, I won't hold on to it. That's when you find real life. So the neighbor will cost you. All right, number six. This is my second favorite one in, in the seven. Don't screen your neighbor before you help. You know people like that? Oh, my goodness. So I'm going to tell a story, and I know this is being recorded, and it'll wind up on the internet, and somebody may hear it and say, you should have told that. I'm going to tell it. It's true. Years ago, over in Bay County, where they're having so much destruction right now, and they're just cleaning up everything, and my heart just goes out to the people there and what they're doing. A place downtown called the Baptist Center, which I think so highly of. Okay, the ministry they did and the things that they did to help people, I just think so much of that. The only thing I can say bad about the Baptist Center was that they screened everybody and they screened them hard. Like, like if you didn't meet a certain criteria and you didn't meet all of their criteria, they would not help you. Period. And when I went down and I talked to the lady who was in charge and I kind of, you know, I had some people that needed some help and I was kind of talking to her about that, she started giving me all these screening questions and when, and when the people that needed help didn't meet a couple of those screening questions, she was like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Can't do it. This is money that Christian people gave to do good in the world and they screened out a lot of people. 
Now, maybe it would be one thing if the resources were limited and, you know, you only had so much and, you, you know, you kind of screened to help specific people because this is our mission or whatever. I get that. But when you screen people out so much that you just keep a lot of the money and you don't spend it, and there are needy people that don't meet quite all your criteria and you just hold on to it, that's wrong. It's just wrong. And, and, and what, what I want you to see in this story is that Jesus says, you know, there's the guy in the ditch. The Samaritan doesn't come along and go, well, I wonder if he's like me. The Samaritan didn't come along and, and, and say, well, is he a Samaritan too? Does his skin look like mine? I wonder if he meets my socioeconomic uh, conditions because then I want to help. I wonder if, if I help this guy, if it gives me credibility with my friends. You see what I mean? You can screen yourself right out of helping anybody. So if, if I can just get anything into your heart and mind today, it's this. It, the, the person in the ditch, that's the person God put in your path. There, there are people in the ditch everywhere, all over the world. There's nowhere you can go. You won't find someone in great, great need, okay? But they won't all be on your road. They won't all be beside you. They won't all be on your path. And that's the person you help. And you say, but somebody else could do it better. Doesn't matter. They're for you. That's your guy. That's the one you saw. So don't scream. Don't scream them out. In other words, don't screen out the people that God puts into your life just because they don't meet something you like. All right, here we go. Last one. And I'll explain it because it might not be exactly like it looks like, okay? But respect your neighbor's face, place, and choice. So here's what happens when you're, when you're going to be a neighbor. You can't control that other person, not even the person in need, okay? You can't control them. So when you help them, when you get involved, when you do whatever you can do, you still, at that same time, you want to always respect their space, their place, and their choice. So their space, this is what I mean by that. I don't mean like the, the location they live or whatever. I mean their space as in how much distance they want with you. You know, you're, you're there to help them. Well, they, they may just think you're the greatest person ever and they want to be your friend for life. Then again, it may be they really appreciate your help. They thank God that you're here. And then when the crisis is over, if they never see you again, it's okay. See, you want to respect that space because that's their, their side of it. Second thing you, you want to do is you want to respect their place. And again, I'm not talking about a location. I'm thinking about where they are, say, spiritually. You know, they may be at a point where they are ready. I mean, they, they want to follow God. They love God. They're, they believe you're a godsend and they can't wait to get involved in a church and all that. It could be. Or then again, the place where they are, you may be the first person that's ever brought a little bit of light in their life. And they're not ready to make any kind of decision or anything like that. They're just, they're just kind of like, well, this is different. And so you have to respect the place where they are as well. You may want them to be in a different place spiritually, but they may not be there today. So you respect that. 
And then the hardest one for a lot of people is the third one. You have to respect their choice. What if God puts a person in your path and you get involved in their life and you do the things you're supposed to do and when it's all over, they're not even thankful. Like they don't seem thankful to you. They don't seem thankful to God. Nothing. Their choice is I'm out. I'm out of the ditch and I'm out of here. What if, what if that's their choice? If you'll hear me today, I'm just saying it's their choice to make, isn't it? It's their choice to make. You can't change them. You can't change their life. You can't make them a different person. You can't cause them to have faith. You can't cause them to believe. None of those things. You can't do that. They get to choose. Just like you did. So I'm trying to tell you the, the whole part of this. I'm trying to lay it all out there because we're supposed to be a neighbor. But if you're going to be a neighbor, some people are going to come back and they're going to thank you and they're going to love you and, and they're, they're going to want to help you the rest of their life too, okay? But then again, they might not. And you didn't do it just so they would. You didn't do what you did just so they would thank you and say what a great person you are. You didn't do it for that purpose. So you respect their space, their place, and their choice. You want to know what it looks like to be a neighbor? It's all of those things. Now let me, let me kind of wrap it up like this. Jesus is our perfect example, is he not? He's the perfect example of the one who saw us in the ditch, jumped down in there where we were, and did everything we needed. And when it was over, he respected our place, our space, and our choice. That's exactly what Jesus does. He's done everything for you and me. You know, when, when, when he went to a cross, you say, well, I keep hearing that. Why is that so important? When he went to a cross, he did something that only he could do for you. Like he took your place. If I'm supposed to suffer and be punished for my sins, Jesus said, okay, I'm going to do that for you. If I'm supposed to die for all the things I've done wrong, Jesus said, I'm going to die for you. And he did it one time for everybody. And when it was over, you know, many people look at that and they say, oh, Jesus, thank you so much. And they believe and they just turn their lives over to him and they just follow him the best way they know how for the rest of their days. And other people hear that and they go, eh. And they walk away. You see how Jesus is our perfect example? The very thing he was telling the man to do, the very thing that he was illustrating in the story, is the thing that Jesus himself has done for all of us. He was our greatest neighbor. He did the greatest neighboring in that way. It gives you a lot to think about, right? Okay, in just a moment, this is what we'll do. We'll stand together. I'll lead us in a prayer. And you'll have time to just think about it and pray. I want you to have time and you say, well, I don't really know how to pray. Well, just, just talk to God in your mind. I promise he can hear. And so you have some time to respond. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm going to stand down front. I'll be glad to pray with you. But the most important thing is that you just have that time to talk to God as well. There'll be some music playing in the background and it gives you a few moments to do that. All right, let's stand together. Our Father in heaven. We love you and we thank you. You've been so good to us. And you gave us this story and you teach us so much in it. And Lord, 
right now for all of us in the room, it's my prayer that you'll help us to say yes to whatever it is that you've stirred in our mind and in our heart. We give you this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.